0: Welcome to A Better Story Podcast. Today's episode is a conversation with Derek Flood, who is the author of Disarming Scripture. Uh, And our conversation is hopefully a really good follow-up from the last episode, talking about how scripture doesn't have to suck. A lot of the things I talked about, Derek talks about in his book, so check out the conversation. Before you get to that, don't forget to like A Better Story podcast on Facebook, and check out Light Theories music, who does the intro and outro music. So enjoy the conversation with Derek Flood. It's interesting. You sort of combine both sides of this podcast because half the podcast is looking at the Bible from the aspect of how it leads us into better ways of living and sort of looking at it uh, from that perspective. And the other half is talking to people about things that they seem to be passionate about that have sort of drawn them into the better ways of living. And I'm assuming that the Bible has done that for you since you wrote a book on it. Um, People usually write books about things that they're passionate about. So Yeah, I'm curious, what uh, what was your background with scripture? What made you decide to write a book? And specifically, what kept you from just uh, throwing the Bible out, so to speak? Because it seems like in in the book, you're wrestling with some tough questions about scripture. And a lot of people have just sort of thrown it out and said, okay, these questions are unanswerable. I'll just move on with life and live a good, decent life.
1: Right. So, I mean, it's the what the impetus of the book was a crisis of faith i was in seminary and you know therefore i've been reading the bible for decades and um that's that's a different story the story of like why the bible was this you know super important book to me why it was where i met jesus and learned from you know god's ways and had god communicate his love to me through the bible all of that but in seminary i had started learning hebrew and greek and i thought you know what i'm going to read through all of psalms in hebrew and i started doing that and then i found out when i'm reading when you're reading in hebrew you're reading really really closely every little word i'm translating because i don't speak it that well that i can just read it fluently like the way i would read english So I'm looking at every single little thing. And the thing that I've been doing for years where I'd like, you know, I have my highlighter out and I get to this part and oh, this is really good. And then I'd come to some other part and be like, "Mm, yeah, I'm not gonna highlight that. And then kind of move on. I'm like going through every little thing and I'm noticing, and I'm also reading it from cover to cover Psalms wise. And I'm noticing, wow, there's a lot of Psalms that are like super, super disturbing. And I guess I missed those before with my highlighter. and. Yeah, that's not just like a little fluke. That's like actually a major theme here is the the nasty parts, and and then I started looking, you know, being good, you know, budding Bible scholar, start looking at the rest of the Old Testament, and I start noticing these things. You know, I had before noticed stuff like, why did God zap the guy who dropped the ark? You know, and actually he didn't drop the ark. He tried to not drop the ark, and he got zapped for that. And I remember like you know being like 15 and going, what? But he was trying to help. What did you kill him for? But, then, but somehow I had missed the genocide part. I don't know how I missed it. <laughs> And I'm seeing this and I'm going, whoa. And it's not even just like, well, you know, it's necessary. I mean, the, the way that it talks about it is like, show no mercy. And by now, I'm also as positively seeing from Jesus um, and being led, not just like as an, oh, I noticed that, but like I'm being led by Jesus to look at my own violence, look at my own bad attitudes, look at my own anger, and and that I would even call justice and you know righteous anger and that kind of thing and and checking that and being led by over years to learn how to like walk in the way of compassion of mercy you know it's easy to take that for yourself thanks for the mercy it's hard to show it to other people and i'm learning that and then i'm seeing this thing which looks like the utter antithesis of mercy including just quote show them no mercy unquote you know and that referring to like you know men women infants and animals so it's like yes go and kill all the bunny rabbits and puppy dogs in the city you know and i'm like and, I'm, and 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 to me it's not like this atheist thing of oh i don't like the bible i reject it it's like i love the bible it's my book it's my place where i meet god it's like my 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 secret treehouse to meet jesus in and and then i'm seeing this stuff in there not in someone else's book but in mine and it's so I'm like, how do I deal with this? And it became this, you know, really not so much of a seminary question anymore, but more like a, a prayer kind of question of like, God, what do I how do I make sense of this? How do I you know, if I throw all the Bible out, then I I throw out the good parts where I've been able to meet Jesus. I know the Bible isn't Jesus, but it's it's the place where I I encounter Jesus, and at least this isn't in one major way, prayer also too directly and stuff. Um, And then I'm like, okay, can I throw out the whole Old Testament? Well, there's lots of really awesome stuff in the Old Testament. I don't want to throw out the whole Old Testament. So what do I do with this? And so it kind of came to that of trying to, how can I, how can I face this and and deal with it? And, And part of it too, I think is really important is it's my book. And so if I throw out my book, that's kind of like burying the uncomfortable parts of my past. Um, and so I think that's kind of a, an irresponsible way to deal with it. Like as if it was, oh, it's them and they have the problem, you know, like, I think that if you read the stories about Jesus and the Pharisees and you conclude from that, like, good thing, I'm not a Pharisee. That's like a really cheap way to read it, you know? And it should be more like, well, how am I like that? And how should I change, you know, and not be like that as, a, as opposed to just reading it like them, us and them, and they're the bad guys and I'm the good guy and I'm completely innocent. Like that's the whole thing that's actually good about the whole, you know, as much as there's problems with with Lutheranism, the thing, one thing that I think is good is kind of that, that idea of looking at yourself and going, what did I, how have I messed up? How have I, even by things I didn't do messed up and like really like introspectively reflecting on things and owning stuff is really important to do.
0: I love how uh, you talk about the Bible almost as a, a human relationship in some ways that it's, uh, it's done something to you and in you so that to give up on it would be sort of to abandon a, a sort of relationship in a, a sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I like to think of it like as um, I think a sacrament is a really good word. It's not a word that, from my kind of um, you know non-denominational church background, is a word that usually I, I was actually originally taught as a as a I began as a as an unintentional fundamentalist and then kind of found out that was yucky and stopped being that. But I was you know initially taught like oh yucky word don't say sacrament. That's, that's a Catholic word, but it's a really good word If to the extent that it means like a vehicle through which God connects with you, you know? And and so I don't think I would have a relationship with the Bible, but it's more that I, I recognize that it is a thing that God uses in kind of a holy kind of way, in a unique and special kind of way that is where I meet God. And so it has this really special kind of um, function.
0: Well, that brings to mind uh, like a 10,000 foot, really big question. If you were just straight up asked, which I'm about to, uh, what is the Bible? How would you answer that succinctly? You wrote, you know, 200 pages on it very beautifully. But yeah, if you were, you <laughs> were just, bumper
1: sticker. yeah, right. Um, yeah, it, it is really hard to put that into like just a, a simple kind of thing. So I don't know that I can give you like just a sentence. It's you can a- say
0: several sentences if you want to. <laughs>
1: It's a thing through which you can meet Jesus. And I have met, and when I say Jesus, I mean God, I mean love, I mean, you know, this God of the universe who is Jesus kind of thing. You can meet God through it. Then, of course, we also have people who read the Bible and do horrifically awful things um, throughout history. And so it's also possible to have the Bible be a really bad thing, you know, so it's, I guess it's a tool, you know, and you can use the tool in wonderful ways and, and horrific ways. And so what is the Bible? It's like I guess you could say it depends on how you use it, what it is, and, and that's really important.
0: So it's much more dynamic than static. Because I also kind of grew up in a fundamentalist-ish background where the Bible was seen in a very static sort of way and it's uh, uh, the word directly from God, that sort of thing. But that's not how you're describing it or how you seem to view it or write about it.
1: No, and actually, I remember having this – this. initially, I had that approach. like Because my experience was you pick it up, you read it, and it's super awesome and tells you really great things, and you feel like God's speaking directly to you, and it's changing your life. And, wow, what a cool book. If only I could get all my um, non-believing friends to read this book, and then they would – and then they would go, oh, "Well, I read it, and I see this really awful thing." And I would be like, "Oh, you do? Um, gosh, I didn't. Even... You see that? I guess I can kind of see that." And anyway, I, I recognize that. I, I thought initially, if you just read it, you know, like that's the whole fundamentalist line. If you just like just read the plain meaning of the scriptures, then you'll see this. And then I see what what you can just go to like I don't know like um, the Skeptics Annotated Bible and see how they read the Bible, and you go, "Whoa." I, just, no, I didn't see that. Okay, I guess different people approaching from different ways will see different things. And and also too, I mean, I frankly did skip over the parts like thinking about what's it like to be outside of the ark for all those other people who aren't with Noah. You know, what's their what's the six-year-old little girl's perspective from drowning in the water to that story? You know, um, or what's what does this look like from the perspective of the Canaanites? And then thinking too. Didn't Jesus ask us to ask exactly that question? Like as you've done into the least of these, like what what's the who are the how are the underdogs the 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 condemned? How are they seeing this story? I mean, I kind of learned how to do that from Jesus. So the more that I started really getting into Jesus, I started seeing the problems with this and seeing that that perspective.
0: And that seems like that's sort of your the key way that you talk and write about reading the Bible is like Jesus did, or trying to read it like Jesus did. Can you kind of describe how you see Jesus reading scriptures?
1: So what I see Jesus doing is he's reading the Bible in a way that's really different than the Pharisees, which is why the Pharisees accuse him of being a lawbreaker, being a blasphemer, even of being a devil, by the way that he's reading stuff. And I see him actually not just sort of, you know, going like, oh, I don't know what, what you're doing, I'm innocent. He like provokes them. So he'll do stuff like, he'll go to some guy who hasn't been um, who, who 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 like the last 50 years has been able unable to walk and and the 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 understanding at the time was you cannot heal on the sabbath unless it's life threatening so somebody who's had a problem for 50 years it's not life threatening it's not an emergency you could wait till monday and but jesus is like no i'm not waiting like one second stand up in front of everybody hey everybody look what i'm about to do and i'm going to ask you is it okay to, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? Is it right to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? What do you think? Nobody answers him because they're like, no, I'm not touching that. And he's like, boom, you're healed. Drop the mic, done. And that's like super confrontive to the Pharisees, which is why the, the, the gospel writers tell us they're like, okay, we want to now kill you, you know? And so it's not like subtle at all, <laughs> you know? And and so that's his, his way of reading involves it, for this, I would say you could say that his baseline is, I want to do what is loving and what is good. And if that means I'm going to technically break a rule, the way that I fulfill this scripture is by doing what is loving, even when I break a rule, even when I, or, and, and if you want, you could say, break a rule by your interpretation, because he wouldn't say I'm reading it wrong. He would, he, would th- he would say, absolutely, no, I'm reading it right. You're reading it wrong, Pharisees. I'm reading it right. You guys, when you don't heal on the Sabbath, you're missing the whole point of the whole thing because it's supposed to be that the Sabbath is for people, not the Sabbath is for you know itself as like a burden on you. And and also that they bring him and they say, hey, here, the law says to kill this woman who's caught in adultery. What do you say? And he's like, well, the one without um, sin throws the, the the first stone. Who is the one without sin? Jesus. Does he throw the stone? No. Does he therefore break what the law says to do? Yes, he does. And and, and, and he forgives her. Is there, a, is there a place in the in the Old Testament where it says you can forgive someone for adultery? No, there is not. Um, the things you can forgive people for and with a sacrifice are kind of more like mistake kind of sins, like whoops kind of stuff, and not adultery or murder, or those are just, they, they have a consequence, the end. And so he, he changes that, you know, and, and he's changing a lot of stuff. And so he has a way of reading that allows, you could say, the Bible to grow and develop. He has these ideas like, Moses gave you this law about divorce, but actually that's not what God wanted in the beginning, which kind of indicates that the law is not like the set in stone thing, but more like at the moment here we are, let's make a step, what's the next step is the next question. So he has this way of reading that, that I call um, faithful questioning, where he's questioning in the name of compassion, he's saying, what is the what is the right thing to do here? What is the loving thing to do here? And even if that means going beyond or even going against, Um, what this says, you know, on the page, how do I do that, you know, and I think that that is really different than what I identify with the Pharisees, which is what I call um, unquestioning obedience, where it's like, this is the word of God, you may not question this, I don't care if you think it's wrong, you do it anyway, because God knows better and you don't, so be quiet, sit down, follow it, and that is the way that I learned to read as a fundamentalist, it's exactly that way, And I think that way is, I think you can look at history and see that that way is really dangerous because it ends up you justifying bad stuff.
0: And I found once I uh, sort of moved away from that, that way of reading the Bible, I realized that I think that way is actually doing an injustice to scripture. You know, it's forcing um, expectations on it that just aren't fair to it or don't actually let it sort of let scripture do what it, it seems to be trying to do in the way that it moves and changes and unfolds.
1: mean, I think, I, I think Jesus would absolutely agree with that. I mean, Jesus would not say, yeah, I like to break scripture, you know, and he would say, this is the right way to do it. And if you think about it too, think about like just growing up, right. And, and as you're growing up, what, when, when you're teaching somebody to be an adult, you're teaching them to, think for themselves to make their own decisions to be responsible to take ownership for things and i think that's what jesus is wanting to have his disciples do is to get what he gets and then live that out and not to be like no no don't ask questions don't 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 understand this is what you're saying when you say don't ask questions you're saying don't understand this and when you don't understand something you can't do it because you'll do it wrong because you don't understand the point and you'll get the point wrong and therefore to be faithful you must question you must seek understanding you must wrestle with it to get it and that's really about just being an adult like a like a good teacher would want their students to to get it and to and to own it and and to basically be mature and and the other way is really infantilizing people
0: the language you use which i love for the way that jesus seems to read the bible and that you read the bible is on a trajectory so looking at how it sort of what it moves towards can you unpack that a little bit, explain it, and then specifically how it relates to some of those like horrible things that you started seeing in the Bible, the, the infants dying in the flood, the genocide?
1: So there's two ways you can think about the trajectory. One is in regards to the Old Testament, and the other one's in regards to the New Testament. So with the Old Testament, it's that what we see in the Old Testament are many voices that contradict each other. And we can come back to that and talk about that in a little bit, but that's just a fact, that that when you look at the Old Testament, expect it to be one voice. It just isn't. There are contradictory voices that say different things. Like one example among many is one part of the Bible says God requires a sacrifice. Other parts of the Bible says, no, I totally don't want to sacrifice. I hate sacrifices. I have no use for them at all. And I don't want to sacrifice, period. And so there are just completely different views of that. And you need to kind of The traditional way to read that is to go like, oh, well, first it was this, then it was this, but see, it's all one big thing. It's like, well, no, it's more like when you have a debate and you get like six people in the room all with different views and you say, you all get to talk. And then you decide now which of the people is the one who's right. That's more like what the Old Testament is. It's a collection of diverse viewpoints, which is kind of amazing, actually, if you think about when people put that together in a canon and let those voices all be side by side, like, wow. And so the trajectory there is to find what fits with Jesus in that? What, where do we see the way that is um, congruent with, with mercy, with love, with compassion, with, with caring for all people, not just for some, you know? and you can, and finding that, um, that vein, I guess you could call it, running through the Old Testament. Um, and w- with the trajectory in regards to the New Testament, is that you might initially think like, okay, cool. So just New Testament, right? And New Testament's good and whatever they say is right. Until you find out the places where it says stuff like, so if you're a Christian and you are a slave owner, then that's cool, but just be kind of nice to them. And you're like, oh um, yeah, I, I definitely would have a problem today with a fellow person in my church owning a slave. I think that would definitely be a, like a red flag. and. And so what do you do with that? What do you do with that? They said at the time, no, you cannot be a prostitute, but you can be a slave owner. I mean, that's New Testament. And and that's just one example of New Testament. There's problems with the New Testament um, where they were at. And you could say that they were dramatically ahead of us in many ways. The stuff about radical forgiveness, about enemy love is still 2000 years later, like just radical and groundbreaking and amazing and super, super challenging. But there's also stuff that you've got to say, mm, no, not owning slaves, for example. And so the trajectory is to figure out where, where do we see these guys in a snapshot in time, you know, that they are first century and they, and they have things in their understanding that are wrong, morally wrong. Not just that they don't understand how, like, cars work, you know, and we do but, but moral stuff. And we need to therefore identify what is the message of Jesus and what would it mean for us today to continue on with that rather than saying, no, we've got to keep slaves or no, we got to always walk in. You always have to wear sandals and walk everywhere. Or, you know, like how do we, what is, what is a faithful kind of thing to move forward from, from that to move from abolitionism to move to Martin Luther King, like all that kind of stuff. I think those people are faithfully following a trajectory of Jesus. And so our question is, how can we join in in that trajectory? And how can we say, Jesus had this quote where he says, you will do greater things than me. So that's the question is identifying, okay, yeah, Martin Luther King did some pretty huge things that changed a lot of stuff. How can we do that kind of thing?
0: Whenever I began to think of scripture this way, it became much more vibrant and interesting and alive, because it ceased to be something to get back to, as if, preserving you know exactly what happened 2000 years ago is what we're what our aim is it all all of a sudden became something to live into with some creativity and some uh yeah just some ad- adventure maybe uh, for lack of a better word so to me this is a much That's more com- it. it seems like a much more compelling uh life-giving way to to understand scripture
1: and it's exciting isn't it
0: so you mentioned this earlier and i want to circle back to it And you you probably didn't say it exactly this way, but you alluded to the fact that what is often considered a, like a quote unquote high view of scripture, or you could say a fundamentalist view of scripture, leads to some kind of awful things to violence and um, atrocities throughout Christian history. Can you speak to that a little bit? Talk about how you've seen that and how to move away from that?
1: So I think that the term high view of scripture is a term that conservatives pick to describe their view of scripture. And so it's a little bit kind of unfair to say like my view is the good view and your view I would t- t- categorize as the bad view. So what do you think about that? <laughs> you know? So it assumes that their view is right because it's high. And y- when you call it the fundamentalist view, then suddenly it's like, a, well, now it's a different thing. You know? You're fundamentalist, so it's wrong. The end. Yeah. Um, so what I, what I categorize it as is unquestioning obedience. That, that way of not asking questions about things and, and following along with it saying that first comes the rule, we can't question these things. And I do see that that does lead to, to harm, to doing harm. And one example I give in the book is, there are Christian books that talk about uh, corporal punishment of children. This book um, that I'm thinking of, that I, that I quote in the book, I'm, I don't remember the title of it off the top of my head, but it's, it's just horrible. And what they say is, they say, you might feel that this is wrong to do this, but you cannot listen to that. You need to listen to the Word of God. You need to just hit your kids because that's what God wants you to do. So stop questioning it and hit them. And it describes, you know, like and also when you do, make sure you use like a weapon, like a, like a big stick or something like that. And and so it's like, what the, what are you doing, man? And you're basically saying to the parent, the one thing they have is their responsibility to their child who they love, and asking, is this the right thing? You know, that's it's like you're huge responsibility in life is to care for these little people. Like it's, it's all on you. You are their parent. So it's huge. And this person is saying, don't listen to the Holy Spirit telling you that this is not right. Do it anyway. And so that's a small example. And of course, you could also bring up the Crusades and the Inquisition and all these other things that are larger examples or the the, the genocide of the, American, the Native Americans by Christians. You could bring up these huge issues, but that's just like a small issue where you can see really like, starkly laid out, this is what happens when you stop questioning and and just follow this text because it says to like a law and how it can really hurt people.
0: It's interesting that there are even studies, psychological studies, that across religious lines, Christian, non-Christian, whatever your belief is, the more certain you are about your perspective and the unquest- more unquestioning you are, the higher risk you are to endorse violence. Psychology is actually telling us that now as well. We can look at history, but we can also just see how it's not just a Christian thing. I think it, it's easy to self-critique our own tradition, which we, we should, but it's also a human thing that the sort of unquestioning leads us to some very dangerous places.
1: That's, I think, a really important insight, too, is that you identify the problem is not with faith. The problem, the problem is with a certain kind of approach to faith, which is this authoritarian, unquestioning, unreflective kind of thing because, and if, you, and if you think further about it, you know, isn't faith supposed to be where you are reflective? And so it's weird. It's weird this thing of on the one hand, we actually were taught to be reflective and to question yourself but then we kind of say okay but that's only individual i don't question my system and my church and my country and my my doctrines and all of those bigger things why not shouldn't we question all of it but somehow i guess we think those are not human like doctrines somehow beyond human even though like who wrote the doctrines
0: let me ask you about a couple potential maybe critiques of this way of reading scripture Uh, And one that I get whenever I talk to friends about this occasionally is uh, it can be accused of being paternalistic. I don't think it is, but I'm sure I'm guessing you've probably heard that before that saying that, well, those people got it wrong back then, uh, which is a probably not a fair way to categorize it. But what do you say when you hear someone say, well, this is, you know, maybe kind of condescending to people who came before us?
1: Well, I don't know that I would say that they got it wrong Um, Because they got a lot of stuff right. I think that the like New Testament authors are way more on the ball, like centuries, millennia before us, they're getting stuff that we still haven't gotten. And so this is important to remember that. You know, to remember that perspective, even if we, and, and we want to take it further to notice like how important it was for them. But, but when we notice that, that doesn't mean that we say, Hey, it was really cool that you guys had this amount of technology at the time. That's really innovative. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have an iPhone. Right. And, and it's also not like, am I arrogant that I have an iPhone? And I, I mean, I, I, but I'm, the thing is I'm not making fun of them for that. Um, and I do think that the, the approach of the Pharisees was wrong. I think that Jesus thought it was wrong too. I mean, he was had some pretty choice words for them. So yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's the case. And and one th- one thing that really irks me, I gotta say, is when people will say stuff like, "Well, you know, with the genocides and stuff, people at that time, you know, didn't um, have a different understanding of violence, and so and it kind of implying that they're like, oh no, I'm cool with genocide. Yeah, go ahead and kill everybody here. Like, I mean, what mom ever thinks? Oh, I'm okay that you shot my child or killed my child. Like. Even, even in places that are violent, like, you know, in the world right now, there is places that are much more violent than other places. And no, no mother there thinks it's okay to lose her family. You know, no father thinks that's okay. And so the, the grief and the trauma that happens is, is a human thing. And I don't think it's like in these cultures at this time, they didn't know grief. You know, they didn't know um, trauma. That's yeah. just not true.
0: Yeah, that's an important thing to remember. When I look at even when I look at the Hebrew scriptures like this, I actually find something to admire. And you kind of alluded to this earlier. Like the example you gave in the book, and I mentioned it on the last podcast of this discrepancy of accounts where David is said to count people and it's from God one time and then later it's from Satan. The courage to include that in like your holy scriptures, your holy texts. To, to have the courage to say, oh, we, we got this wrong after some reflection, to me, isn't paternalistic. It's actually something that is deeply uh, worth emulating and, and something that we could probably use a little more of in faith and church today.
1: And not editing it out. Like, okay, now we'll remove this book so you don't ever notice that we ever made the mistake is is really amazing. Um, Rene Girard had pointed out that the Hebrew scriptures were at the time the first literature to include the voice of a victim. Hmm. And before that, all history was always about like, here's the, here's the history from the side of the winners from the side of the conquerors and, and they get to tell the story. And in the Hebrew Bible, we have, you know, and since then, of course, there's been others, but, but that was really unique. So there's something really kind of, you got to look at the whole thing. It's also wrong to just be like, okay, to say the old Testament consists of just the book of Joshua you know, and and just these bad parts. It's not, it's all of them together. And actually noticing that voice from the victim is why when we read those parts of Joshua, you're supposed to read the parts of Joshua from the perspective of the writer of it and go, cool, we totally won, you know? And isn't that awesome? And the fact that we read it and are horrified is because we've learned to hear the voice of the victim from Jesus, but also from those other Hebrew writers of scripture that they've let us see that way is why we see it as problematic now. So yeah, that's that's really that in that sense it's it's really kind of incredible. And you could say it acts as, you know, leaving that there, even if it's bad, is powerful. Like like they shouldn't tear down Auschwitz. They should leave it standing so you can see it and go look at this and look what not not what they did either, but what we did, you know, and like what we're capable of. And having that be there as a reminder—that's that's really powerful, and and I think that's much better than censoring it or you know erasing it so that you know it's not there to be upsetting and disturbing.
0: I think in the book you talk about it as forcing it to face our darkness, looking at the parts of us individually and communally that we may be ashamed of and that we need to confront and actually look at with honesty, as opposed to just skim over them like they never happened.
1: Yeah. And that's, that kind of gets back to, to, I mean, I don't honestly mean that you should do that in your devotional. Cause that's a pretty, it's kind of like watching, like, I don't know, hotel Rwanda that like, you can't just be like, Oh, let's have a nice evening and watch hotel Rwanda. You know, it's like this really heavy, heavy thing. And so you do that, but it's not kind of light reading and you don't do that when you're trying to like, you know, I need encouragement from the Lord, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't read like first Samuel 15, but, but at, yeah, on a, on a, bigger, broader, deeper level, um, It's that is really important to, to face that and own that.
0: Looking at scripture on a trajectory requires, like we said, some creativity, some sort of forward thinking, some openness to how we need to change and adapt to live into that trajectory. As you look at sort of the landscape of spirituality and church and Christianity now, where do you see that trajectory heading? Are there particular issues, things that you feel like we should be embracing that we aren't, things that we may have to fess up to own up to into the future.
1: Oh, I see tons and I'm sure you do too. There are uh, the, the 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 thing that I focus the most on the book that I'm most noticing as uh, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to rank it. I'll just say it to me it's the thing that I noticed the most is is state violence and how the United States, I mean, I I've, I've lived in in Europe and if you talk with traditional born again Christians in Europe look at america and they're like what is wrong with you guys and so and so you don't have to go to the future to see that you just go to you know leave your borders and and they will be like why are you torturing people in prisons by putting them in solitary confinement and why do you do that to minors and why is your prison system only about hurting people and making them worse and then you let them out you're and you're surprised they go commit crimes again well you completely broke them you know and so what are you expecting and americans would be like Well, what do you do just let them all go It's like well no how about you do I don't know like what we've done for the last several decades don't you try that because it seems to work pretty well and then but we we have these blinders you know where we're not seeing any other anybody else anyway I see that there's a huge blinder that America has of loving violence and thinking that violence is good whether it's um prisons or police or all of our wars or um torture whether that torture is solitary confinement or like Guantanamo type torture um, whether it's us all thinking that we need to own guns and that like the the second amendment is like the second commandment It's I, I just think that there's this astronomical blindness that I think we're not even there's other areas where I think we're actually at the point of questioning it like, you know How do we interact with um, with LGBTQ people and um, you know, and, and how do we um deal with? Um, I mean, there's a little bit like black lives matter. I think is is, is starting to ask that question on one level, but the amount of unawareness to that and then also with the church too like if I had to think of of the fifty thousand times I've been in a Sunday service, the number of times where they've talked about love your enemies and turning to the cheek is like I don't know seven total and and so it just it just isn't taught and and, and when it is taught it's taught like a like something that you forbid like you know saying okay, no sex before marriage and no and no killing you know and but not understood as a way to, make things right, as a way to work towards good in a person, you know, as an active thing that you actively do to make peace. I would like to hear a lot more about that. And I'd like to have people thinking along those lines, rather than thinking kind of in the, yeah, but what about this all the time? It's always that question, like kind of the question of, should I begin to do exercise? Oh, well, what about this? Here's my reason not to join the gym. You know, it's always like that kind of approach. And I think I'd like to see how about we try it for 20 years and then talk about what we learned, you know, like that kind of thing. So I think that's a, that's a huge area that I think we need to grow into. And I don't know, I don't, I don't even see like 10 years from now, us looking back and going glad we figured that one out. Unfortunately, I think it's going to take us a lot longer.
0: Yeah. It seems like history doesn't move as fast as uh, we'd like it to. It's a slow progression. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the conversation. Uh, and if folks want to hear more from you, check out writings, that sort of stuff. Where should they head?
1: Um, well, I blog at therebelgod.com. Um, that's also my uh, Twitter handle. And um, I got my book, um, Disarming Scripture, that they can check out.
0: Cool. And I will have a link for all that in the show notes. So folks who are listening can go on and check that out. Thanks for the conversation, Derek. Uh, it's Been really insightful and helpful. And your book, uh, I think is one of the, it's one of the books that I recommend most for people when they're trying to figure out what scripture is. So I would tell people who are listening, go check it out, give it a read. It's uh, accessible and not super long, and just really helpful.
1: Thank you, it's been a pleasure.